Right, the reading today is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Away we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the Holy One and faithful brothers in Christ at Coloss, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about it in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing through and growing, just as, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, asking asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worth living of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so so that you may... Have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as the Apostle Paul does, that you, Father, would fill us with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order that we might live lives worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Amen. Well, I want to start by sharing with you a moment of horror that I experienced this week. Um, It was pretty terrifying. Uh, It hasn't happened to me for a long while, and I hope that it doesn't happen to you anytime soon. But on Tuesday this week, I received a notification from my mobile phone provider that I had used up all my data for the month, before uh, the end of the month. And it was terrifying. I can hear the gasps of horror around the room. Uh, If you don't know how terrifying that is, ask your grandchildren. Uh, They'll tell you. But honestly, I had no access to maps, so I didn't know where I was going. I had no WhatsApp, so I couldn't get any pictures of cats playing pianos. And um, I was in the post office trying to return a parcel, and I had no data to get the QR code. I went right to the counter, and I had to leave. It was so embarrassing. I can never go back again. And I spent the entire day obsessed, like some sort of addict, uh, about the Wi-Fi. Where can I get Wi-Fi? Where can I get those three little fan bars at the top of the phone? But do you know, there was something that offered a relief for my data drought that day. See, the phone company offered me a series of top-ups. They're not stupid, are they? For £10, I could get like one gigabyte of data. Or for £50, I could get 
two gigabytes, uh, two megabytes rather, uh, of data. Now, I didn't pay it, I'm too tight, but it was very tempting when I felt empty in terms of my data allowance to seek a top-up. And I'm sure lots of us have, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, bear with me on this one, but I think there's something similar when it comes to the Christian life. See, we all know, or most of us know, that Jesus is important. Uh, if we're Christian, we know that actually everything is about him. But actually, we can find ourselves experiencing circumstances in life that cause us to question, not who he is, but whether he is enough. Uh, perhaps we've blown up at our friend. Perhaps we've had a bad time with the computer. Perhaps our prayer life feels motionless or has dried up completely. And we ask ourselves, is Jesus enough? Is he enough to cover my sin? Is he enough to be with me, to keep me? Or perhaps we're still looking into the Christian faith, and one of the things we're weighing up is, is it worth it for me to follow Jesus? Is he going to give enough if I put my trust in him? And given that sense of emptiness, there can be a series of kind of top-ups out there. See, there can be super religious uh, top-ups. See, if we feel bad about our sin, there can be lots of religious rituals we go through to make us feel better uh, about ourselves. Or perhaps if we feel alone and we feel that we're missing something, well, there's all sorts of super spiritual experiences out there that offer us something. And actually, that's not too dissimilar to where this letter to the Colossian church uh, finds themselves. See, this church is massively encouraging. I got Silas to read from the beginning. We're only focusing on two verses, uh, three verses tonight. Uh, but I want us to hear the whole chapter, because look at the way Paul writes about them in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, at the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored for you in heaven. Now, Paul has never seen them face to face. But look at what he's saying. We've heard of your faith. The news has traveled miles to us. We've heard of your love. We've heard of the hope that you have. I mean, what a resume for a church. And yet, Paul knows there's a danger. A danger that we all face. Not to deny Jesus, but to question whether he's enough. See, have a look at chapter 2, verse 18. See, there are all sorts of top-ups on offer. Chapter 2, verse 18, he says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility, that's um, a word of kind of religious practice, and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. And so there are people saying, look, go, go into this religious practice. You need Jesus, but you need this other practice. Or, yes, by all means, go for Jesus, but you need this vision of angels or whatever it is. And the point is, Paul shows us in this letter, is that to take, add to Jesus is to take away from him. See, Jesus plus is really Jesus minus. And there's one thing to take away from tonight, which is that that Jesus is enough. Uh, we see two reasons why Jesus is enough. First of all, because of who he is. And secondly, because of what he's done. 
So it's very interesting here, isn't it, that Paul doesn't just give them a lecture about why Jesus is enough. He could have said, guys, look, Jesus is really important. Ignore these false teachers. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, Just show them the hand. Uh, But instead, he does something different. He writes them a poem. Uh, Lots of people think this is a kind of song in the first century. Uh, If this was around, it would be on the stage at Reading Festival or something like that. And he gets us to kind of stop and to reflect on who Jesus is. See, he wants our hearts captured by Jesus and Jesus alone. Who is he? Well, look at chapter 1, verse 15. We read that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that God's invisible. We open our curtains in the morning and we don't see God face to face. But actually, Paul's speaking about something far deeper here. Actually, he's invisible in every sense of the word. We can't not only see him, but we can't know him. See, all of us are left in the dark. We all have the blinkers on. But he says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. I've got one of um, these uh, in my car, not a baby, uh, but... um, but a car seat, and it's rearward facing. This is the thing you get now uh, for toddlers. Uh, it's rearward facing. It's a little bit safer. And um, they're great, but the trouble is you obviously can't see them when you're driving. And uh, in the early days, it was pretty terrifying because you'll hear a cough or something or a sound like he's um, regurgitating his breakfast, and you have to pull the car over and check if he's all right, and he's just there smiling. But we came across this great invention. It's, um, it's called a mirror. Have you come across this? It's a mirror, but not only a mirror. It's a mirror that can go on the headrest. And so he's looking back. The mirror goes in front of him. And then I can see uh, my toddler uh, behind. And in fact, if I move the rearview mirror of mine, I got this quite cool thing where I can see him uh, as I drive along, obviously focusing on the road as well. But actually, be- before the mirror, I couldn't see him. As much as I've got a long neck, I couldn't uh, get round uh, to see him. I didn't know what was going on. But as soon as I got the mirror, I was able to see him for real. Uh, That's what Paul means by image here. Um, We often imagine image as a kind of poor version of the reality. So if we take a photo, it's often worse than the reality. Or, yeah, worse than the reality. It's not the real thing. But actually, Paul's not really saying that. Look at what he says in verse 19. He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. It's not that Jesus is a bit God and a bit man. It's not 50-50. It's not even 99-1%. But actually, Jesus is God in himself. You look at Jesus, and you see God. As you look in the mirror, you see my son, and as you look in Jesus you see God. Now, when I saw this for the first time, I thought this was a complete game changer because what we have in Jesus is not some man with some ideas about God, nor do we see a prophet bringing us some messages about God, but we see God himself. And it's remarkable because that is God as he truly is. I don't know if anyone else has this. This may just be me being a bit crazy, but I think it's very easy to imagine God as a kind of Sistine Chapel kind of God, you know, the God with the beard and the fierce kind of throne. 
And then we kind of get Jesus, and we kind of, kind of mesh that with that vision of God. But actually, Jesus is our vision of God. We shouldn't get our vision of God from what we might imagine God is like, but rather we need to look at Christ and his character, and then we understand God. But it's also a game changer, isn't it? Because if we're a Christian, if we're in him, well, then we have everything we could possibly need or want. See, we don't need these extra things. People might offer a kind of super spiritual experience to kind of tap into God. Well, we've got enough in Jesus. Or some people might come along and say, well, you need this extra practice. This, you need to go on this pilgrimage or uh, you need to go to this kind of fountain or something. And, but actually, the moment we got Jesus, we got everything we could possibly want in Jesus. See, Jesus is enough because of who he is. But secondly, because of what he has done. Uh, ignore that for a moment. You can tell, can't you, what someone does, uh, sorry, who someone is, by what they do. Uh, if you go to someone's house and they've got a beautiful garden, uh, a perfectly cut lawn, the flowers are beautiful, not my house, let me add. Uh, but you, you think to yourself, well, they're probably a gardener. would say they're green-fingered or something like that. Or have you ever had that experience where you've gone to a wedding, it's time for the disco, everyone gets up, and there's that one person who can actually dance. And uh, again, not me, uh, let me add. But, um, you know, they're, they're busting all these moves on the dance floor, and you think to yourself, well, they must be a professional, or they've at least trained for this wedding. And we tell who Jesus is, again, by what he does and what he has done. See, look at what he says in verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. See, Jesus does creating business. And the only one who does creating business is God himself. And just look at the scale of this creation. Uh, look at the repeated phrase. Um, if you're in the youth groups, you'll know that we teach, uh, we teach people to look for the repeated phrases because they're often important. And you'll notice in verse 16, he says, For in him all things were created. And uh, the end of verse 16, all things were created. And verse 17, he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. You, know, you get the idea. All things, everything is created by Jesus. And so we could go down to the molecular level. Uh, I'm told this is a neutron. It looks like an eyeball. But it's a, no, it's not a neutron. It's a, oh, sorry. Um, it's an atom. Come correct me afterwards. Um, but it's small, okay? You go down to that level. You go down to the, the nucleus. You go down to the quarks. Uh, and actually, Jesus has created it all. Or go up to the macro level. Uh, go up to the, the edge of the visible universe, the galaxies, and Jesus has created it all. One of uh, the most exciting things I got into as a kid was um, the Voyager 2 uh, probe. I was a very fun kid uh, to know. But this is pretty cool. Uh, it was launched in 1977, so five years before I was born. It's been traveling at 35,000 miles an hour, which is incredible. A bullet travels, do you know, at 2,000 miles an hour. So 35 miles an hour, what's that? 14 and a half times. I've got that wrong. No, 14, no, whatever, fast. Uh, so it's doing that day by day. 
And it was only a couple of years, it, it reached the edge of the sun's reach. And it's going to take another 300 years to officially leave our solar system. And it's going to take 30,000 years to reach another star. And you'll know that that's the equivalent of kind of putting half a foot out the back door of the house when it comes to the scale of the universe. And yet Jesus created it all. Everything that probe encounters in its 35,000 miles an hour has been made by Jesus, has got his name on it. See, Jesus is in a league of his own. He is the creator, and so therefore he is God himself. We um, love categorizing people, don't we? We, um, we probably chat about, well, maybe we don't, but chat about Ronaldo and Messi, which one's the greatest of all time. Um, perhaps neither of them anymore, sadly. Uh, we categorize people into tall or short or um, you know, all sorts of things, animals, vegetables, minerals, that type of thing. Um, I've got a book that I read with my kids. It's called Opposites. And you go through and it says front and back and hot and cold and uh, big and small and that type of thing. You know what an opposite is. But there's another set of opposites that runs through the whole of Scripture. And it's creator and created. And there's a big, thick line between those two categories. If you're in any doubt, we're in the created part of the diagram. See, we're part of the all things. And the question is, where does Jesus fall on that line? Well, Paul shows us so clearly that he's in the creator category. And to be in the creator category is to be in the God category. See, I didn't understand this for a long time when I was looking at Christianity because I thought Jesus was pretty cool, but I didn't quite get why people would commit their whole life to him, spend their whole life getting to know him. But it's because I thought that Jesus had only existed for 2,000 years or Jesus hadn't uh, been uh, God himself. But actually we see that he has always been, he always will be. In John chapter 17, he says this, And now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I mean, no man would talk like that. But these verses are here not to kind of dissect Jesus, but to encourage us in him. See, if Jesus has made everything, well then how ridiculous it is to use those things instead of him. So imagine you went to a party. It was a beautiful party. Uh, the table's laid out with all the food you can imagine, the volavants, the chicken nuggets and that type of thing. That's my dream party. And all the fizzy drinks you could possibly want. And then as you were invited to indulge in the food, you, you bend down, you lick the floor uh, to eat the dust, and you took the condensation off the windows. It'd be ridiculous. It'd be weird. But actually, every time we add to Jesus... We're taken away from the fullness that is only found in him. See, he is our creator. He has made everything. And so he doesn't need topping up. He doesn't need something outside of him. Now, what does that look like today? Well, let me show you a couple of examples in Colossians as we begin to close uh, of where this kind of spills out. Because the Colossians found themselves quite worried, for example, about kind of evil spirits and things. Uh, 2 verse 15, he says, 
that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. Now, when he speaks about powers and authorities, he's speaking about bad powers and bad authorities. And I, I guess for most of us, that's less of a fear today. Although, you know, there'd be one or two of us, I'm sure, who will fear those things. But notice what he says in chapter 1, verse 16. That Jesus has created all things, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And the point is, look, Jesus has made these very things you fear. You don't need to appease them. Satan comes with a dog lead. When Jesus comes, you remember in the Gospels that the demons ask him permission to do things. We need not fear them. We need not concern ourselves about them. Let me give you a second example. that We're not to kind of shirk this world thinking that that kind of makes us super spiritual. See, it's very interesting that the false teachers coming into this church uh, were not saying, just do what you want. They weren't kind of giving them a license to sin. Rather, they were restricting them more than they needed to. They were saying things like uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 16, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You know, if you want to be holy, keep yourself away from these things. And Paul's point is that actually Jesus has made these things. We're not to kind of deny them thinking that that brings us closer to God because this is his world. Yes, it's fallen. Yes, it's not what it should be. But it's God's world nonetheless. Now, how does this help us in our final couple of minutes? Well, actually, in my experience, people are tempted to top up, and I know I am, not because of some intellectual thing, not because we've read some verse in the Bible that's made us think differently, but because we feel alone. We feel that God perhaps isn't there or able to provide. But actually, as we see Jesus for who he is and what he's done, we know that we can never be alone. We can never be without what we need. And of course, this is hugely encouraging, but it cuts both ways, doesn't it? Because if Jesus really is this figure, well, then he's not someone we can ignore. He's not some just sort of historical person who had his day. He is no less than our creator. And as Paul goes on to show, that he has the right to judge us and his creation. But wonderfully, as we look at Jesus, we see a God who does not throw the book at us, but the creator who died for us. See, the God who made the stars gave himself over to his creation. See, the very people who drove nails into his hands, he, was made, he had made, and at that very moment, he sustained them. And he gave himself willingly for his creation. And so, you can see, can't you? Unlike my data provider, we do not need top-ups That's why as a church, and this is why I wanted us to look at this as I begin uh, my new job, uh, because I want us to see as a church, we're going to be unashamedly about Jesus because as we get to know him, we get to know God as he truly is. And it goes without saying, doesn't it? But our whole lives are not going to be wasted if we devote them to getting to know him. Let's pause there. I'm sure there'll be lots of questions in a moment. Uh, Let's pray as we finish. He is the image of the invisible God. And so we thank you, our Father, that we can know God as he truly is. Thank you that in your Son, Father, that you have made him known to us. And we pray that by your Spirit's help, you would continue to help us set our eyes on him and to grow in our understanding more and more. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.